I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, and this is another installment of The Showroom, a programming partnership with Walker Zanger, where we speak with incredible creatives doing amazing work. This week, it's a chat with Molly Fitzpatrick from Ditto House. Textile designer Molly Fitzpatrick has created a business around doing good and doing well. She says, quote, I think in repeat and see pattern as a great equalizer, end quote. What does that mean? You're going to find out. In the following conversation, Molly speaks to everything that is right in the world of creatives and design, seeking out the disadvantage, finding new roads to travel, and when one finds an opportunity, jump in with both feet and no parachute. That's Molly, eyes wide open and a heart to match. Creativity on full display and a passion for making things better through her work, which in turn makes things better for those who enjoy her work as well. We cover a lot of ground here, and I hope you enjoy it. The showroom is a partnership with Walker Zanger. We teamed up to do this program to feature creatives doing great work in tandem with their trade partners. This is a hot topic right now because partnership and collaboration has never been more important than it is now. You've noticed, no doubt, that things are going faster. Time is at a premium, and two minds are always better than one. One of the many reasons why I value my partnership with Walker Zenger. This is Convo by Design, a podcast for the design community available everywhere you find your favorite podcasts like designnetwork.org and Apple Podcasts. So make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode. And you are not going to want to miss a single episode. Trust me, uh, while we throttle things down for the holidays here in 2021, I am preparing a slate of shows for you in 22 that you are going to absolutely love. We're working on a design house project, as you may have heard me tease before which is the likes of one you haven't seen before because this project takes many of the elements we've experienced over the last 18 months about virtual meetings, remote design, and uses a real project home in a very remote, very cool location in collaboration with some of the most talented designers working today. This project house is being presented in a way that doesn't require you to see it in person to understand the finer details of the work being done. It's remote, but not virtual. The meetings with designers is virtual and remote. So you're going to hear what those meetings sound like. You're going to see what those meetings look like as we talk about the design of the space, and then you will see it come to fruition. It's going to be pretty fun, and I'm, I hope you join us for the ride. So stay tuned. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zenger a progressive brand that was built on a promise to provide designers, architects, and homeowners with the right materials to do their best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But it's more than that. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program that makes the specifying process simple and easy with the support you need. They have been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. In 2020, I launched a partnership series with Walker Zanger called The Showroom. These intimate interview series conversations showcase some of the best creatives in the business. We just ended season one, which had some amazing names. And if you want to check them out, please go back through the podcast catalog and find any episode entitled The Showroom so you can hear these amazing conversations. 
And if you haven't stopped by a Walker Zanger showroom lately, you're missing out and you need to go check them out. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can possibly imagine or create. So check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online. WalkerZanger.com. Welcome, everybody. Um, the one more, one more other thing I will just say is, um, after welcome, thanks for joining us today. Will you do us a favor, please, and um, stop your video down in the uh, in the bottom left corner? There's a button there that says "Stop Video," and uh, so that'll take you off camera. And also, if you make sure that your mics are muted, thank you very much. We greatly appreciate that. Um, welcome to the showroom presented by Walker Zanger. So happy that you could join us today. This is this is a little bittersweet for me. Um, I am so Molly Fitzpatrick with Ditto House. Welcome to the showroom. I'm so glad to see you. Welcome. So nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So it's a little bittersweet for me because I am so thrilled to be talking to you and I'm thrilled about the conversation we're going to be having, but this is the actual last showroom of the season. So we're going to be publishing the, the remainder of the ones that we've recorded this, this season. And then we're going to be starting up again shortly. But uh, it's, always, it's always a little bittersweet when the season ends. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. This conversation, we're, we're talking to amazing creators about what they do, how they do it, and uh, hopefully you find it both inspirational and aspirational. A um, couple of notes. As we go through this conversation, at, down at the bottom, you will see the, uh, the little chat icon. If you have any questions as we talk about this as we as we enter this conversation or anywhere in the process of the conversation. If you have questions, um, my friend Muriel is uh, is is uh, moderating this and, and Muriel, you can you can send me a note if I don't see it, but I will also be checking the, the chat feature to see what your questions are. And hopefully we can ask Molly as we go. With that, I am just absolutely thrilled to welcome Molly Fitzpatrick to the showroom. Molly, it's so great to see you. So nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So do me a favor. Um, you and I have had a chance to, to chat before, so I'm, I'm familiar with your background and familiar with what you do. Would you uh, indulge me and, and give me the origin story, the how, how you came to do what you do? Because it's a, it's a remarkable story. Uh, it's a brave story. And it's, it's really cool. And for any creator, I think it's inspirational. Oh, thanks. Well, to go all the way back, I um, studied textiles in art school. So I was doing things like hand weaving and felt making and kind of just all of the, the very hands-on textile arts. Um, and I was super lucky to get a job in a textile mill upon graduation. And I worked there for about five years and I learned so much about manufacturing and really to value how, how textiles are made, the process, all of the expertise, the years of um, work that go into making something um, was just a very valuable experience. And then after that, um, that was, I was down in North Carolina. I decided to move back up North where my family is in Cleveland and um, just kind of through a, a series of events, it kind of worked out that I was just going to do consulting. Um, so still kind of working with manufacturers as a textile design consultant. And then that also turned into doing licensing with companies like CB2, where I do textile designs for their products. Um, and then that turned into 
starting my own product line, which is Ditto House. So that I started in 2015 after my first child was born. Um, I wanted more textiles for our house, you know, kind of setting up a home with a new baby and wanting things that were colorful and engaging, but lasting and um, things that I wanted in my house. And so with my background in manufacturing and kind of knowing how to get things made, just all all worked out. So I started that in 2015 and have always um, worked with American manufacturers. Um, I really like the process. I like that I know I can go to the facility, see how things are made, understand how things are made, designed for that process. I really believe that that's a way to cut out a lot of waste um, is really understanding the entire process and and being very intentional about what I'm designing. Um, And so I've I've always kind of worked in in that capacity for many years. And then in the past few years, I saw kind of a way that I could um, move my funds for manufacturing that maybe could go a little bit further. So I found this group in Guatemala that I'm working with now as as partners um, to develop and create textiles. Let me drill down a little bit on on that because I think your your trip down there and your your discovery in Guatemala. Um, can can you talk a little bit more? Because I mean, look, it's one thing to explore options here in the States. Mm -hmm. It's become something else to expand those horizons a little bit and and look internationally. So can you drill down a little bit and talk about how that happened and sort of how how often, and especially now, um, how you still manage that relationship and how often you go down and how that works with with your manufacturing and distribution? Yeah, so um, I went to Guatemala first while I was in college, actually, because my boyfriend, who's now my husband, was in the Peace Corps in Guatemala. So I, I, that was my first kind of exposure to Guatemalan textiles. And of course, I fell in love and, and just admired the, um, the process and how, how the textiles are created so much. So that was, gosh, back in like 2004 was probably the first time that I had seen Guatemalan textiles and see how they were made. Um, so it kind of planted a seed. And, but I was always on this track of like kind of industrial manufacturing um, for contract markets, for residential, those kinds of things. It, it really wasn't in my mind, but I guess it was kind of always in the, in the back of my mind. Um, so that was way back in the early 2000s and uh, probably like in maybe 2015 or something, my sister-in-law took a trip to Guatemala and she told me about this um, cooperative, which is Trauma. And she just said, oh, they did beautiful work and she had bought a scarf. So I just kind of held on to their information and followed them on social media and just, you know, kept them also in my mind, but never with any idea that I would ever collaborate or work with them. Um, You know, just just kind of like admiring what they what they do as a textile enthusiast. So that was, gosh, many years ago. And then um, it, it just seemed like the time was right. I was seeing that there were so many Guatemalans having to flee their homelands and just knowing that nobody wants to leave their home. Nobody wants to leave, you know, their culture, their food, their language, their family. And just seeing all that was just making me, you know, feel like maybe there's some small effort that I could do that I could take the, um, the business that I've built with my product line and my experience in 
manufacturing and also my interest in weaving and connect the dots um, to start creating products there in Guatemala. So I reached out to Trauma and just said, hey, you know, would you want to partner on a on a collection of textiles? And so that was almost two years ago. There's a lot of emails back and forth. And so that was, we started this before COVID and it was just remote at that point, you know, just emailing and Skyping and things like that. Um, and then of course, with all of the shutdowns, they, um, we just kind of continued talking in, the, in our digital kind of remote facility facilitated by computers and um, sending them images of what I was thinking, sending them kind of technical um, specifications of, of what I was thinking, how many threads would be high and wide and everything. And then they would send me the samples and here we are two years later with the beautiful collection that we've created remotely but you know, through through the magic of the internet. Well, I, I find that fascinating specifically because this inadvertently, this puts you ahead of the curve. It's funny too, whenever I whenever I talk to someone who says, Yeah, we were Skyping, it's like, oh, you're old school. Okay. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so it means you've been doing this, you you've been doing this a while. And I'm interested to know how how that experience doing this virtually mm-hmm. helped you when you, you know, doing it by, well, you really had to because it was international, but then when you absolutely had to, cause you didn't have a choice, did you feel like, okay, I, I got this. Or was there still a learning curve? Did you have to switch over to a different platform? There was a bit of a learning curve just um, as far as like getting the translation. So I would send them a digital image. Also, I should, should mention, I resurrected my hand weaving practice. So I had learned to hand weave in college and kind of was like, that's for the birds. Like I can do things on industrial jacquard looms that I can tell every thread exactly what I want it to do. Why would I ever thread a loom and weave, you know, do this tedious weaving ever again? But once I started realizing that, you know, this was something that a way that I could work, I got my old loom out, I dusted it off threaded it up. I had the help of a nice friend that came and showed me, kind of reminded me how to do it all so that I could have a little bit more of a translation rather than just working out my ideas digitally and sending them the files that I could see, okay, does it make sense for this thread to go over here and under here? And it's not an exact translation to what they do. They're using much finer threads and they're far better weavers than I could ever even dream to be. But um, it, it was a way of helping me understand like I, I always tell myself, I weave to understand. Like it, it helps me understand the time that it takes to create something, um, the, the possibilities that I have within the threads, you know, going in each direction. And um, it, it's just a nice way. So that's probably the, the one thing that really changed. Like I still was working digitally and remotely and everything like that, but being able to have that tactile experience of working at my loom Um, In the evenings after my kids went to bed, you know, weaving here in my home studio was really, really helpful. It also just gave me time to like think about things, think about what what it means to collaborate in this um, capacity, what it means to create textiles. The history of textiles gave me a lot of time to listen to very interesting podcasts about, you know, history. So it's it's been a really great experience. Let's explore those ideas a little bit further because something that I, I think is really interesting, having having done you know these types of conversations for a while, with you it's it's so refreshing and so interesting. It's 
I wanted to, you know, really learn more about manufacturing. So I didn't just read it in a book or listen to a podcast. I actually went and did it. I actually went and got into manufacturing. I know how things are made. I actually had hands on manufacturing. I know how it's manufactured, Mm -hmm. Uh, creating textiles and weaving. I didn't just, you know, create the digital image and send it out. I have a loom. I'm Uh weaving myself. I understand there's this, to me, there's a certain level, you're leveling up when there's this understanding fundamentally you know, tactically hands on how you understand about how, how this works was, was the time to do it worth it? And what did you learn about? Do you really have to learn it to that degree? Or is, you know, taking a cursory class, understanding how it feels and understanding about the, the textiles and the, 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 the widths of thread, how does that help you? I mean, it certainly helps me. Um, I, I guess I'm more of a hands-on learner and to be able to actually kind of create. And I guess I'm using my loom now as like a sketchbook. So what I'm weaving on my loom isn't the finished exact specifications of what I want my friends in Guatemala to make, but it's it's an idea of kind of working out the ideas to even see, is this feasible? Like, am I asking the threads to do things which are not possible? Um, and if I can create something on my loom, then I'll definitely know they'll be able to on, on their backstrap looms. Um, so the, the technology that we're using is a little bit different. I have a floor loom, which um, has pedals that make the threads go up and down. They use a loom that is um, actually their body is what creates the tension in the loom. So rather than a loom that has fixed points on either ends, they they create the tension of, of the loom. Um, so I, I, I know that there's, you know, a, a translation still, but that it's a way of kind of working out ideas and, and sketching things out. What's really interesting too is, you know, and, and look, this is going to seem somewhat pedestrian from me. And I, and for that, I, I apologize in advance because I'm not oh, as no. familiar with, with weaving as, as you are, but it, there, there has to be a difference. And maybe you can explain this, the difference between a, machine weave, mm-hmm. a hand weave on mm-hmm. a loom and a hand weave that's actually literally body weaving where your, you yeah. know, your body is, is the tension and the weight behind this, because it feels to me like, you know, that is so personal mm-hmm. that you can really have far greater control over the finished product. Oh, for sure. I mean, they, they're obviously expert weavers and have been doing this for generations and, you know, mothers pass down the um, weaving lessons to their, their daughters. And so it's, it's something that, you know, is, is very known in their, their bodies, you know, that they, they're excellent weavers. So yeah, you can, you can see um, some of the parameters that I had to work within are based on their bodies. Like they can only weave as wide as they are. You know, I couldn't ask them, oh, can you weave, you know, the things that are done on the backstrap loom? Can you weave 52 inches? Like, no, their body isn't 52 inches. You know, it was, it's about um, 18 or 20 inches that they're able to weave. So I had to like think about that and consider that in my designs. And that's my favorite thing about manufacturing is having a set of parameters, either with the Jackard looms, like what are my repeat sizes? What are my um, constraints that I have to work at? within and also with this, you know, what, what are they able to do with, with their bodies? Um, you know, it's, it's certainly like a, um, a full body, um, experience. They're using their backs to create the tension. Their body is the width. 
their their brains, their eyes to pick out the um, design, like the concentration that that takes, you know, doing the very chunky rudimentary versions of, of what I'm asking them to do on my loom, like the amount of like concentration, and then you kind of get into a flow and figure out the pattern. It's, it's really like a um, incredible, complete experience. That is incredible as it relates to the designs now. So knowing that, mm-hmm. how does that affect your design process? Because now you have to think differently. You really do have certain constraints mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to the width and the repeats and how you put this together. So how did that, how does that change your thinking? I asked the question because I'm putting myself in, in your shoes, right? And as a creator, as a designer, you're looking at, I want to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And you know what you can do on a, on a machine loom. You know what you can do on a hand loom. And now you have to sort of change the, the thought process and your thinking based on what you can do. So how does, how does the design process work for you? And do you find it limiting or do you, do you find it actually freeing because you know that if, if you understand where your repeat points are, yeah. then you can do almost anything? I find it very freeing because it's like I'm designing with friends now. Like I have collaborators. It's always been, you know, me kind of working up in my studio at all hours of the night, creating things like, I don't know, is this crazy? Is it beautiful? I like it. And then I put it out there and then the industrial machines make exactly what I'm envisioning on my computer screen. But this truly was more of a collaboration. Like, you know, I kind of have an idea of what I'd like and then they execute it and add things like um, if you see behind you the pillow with the stitches, kind of that regular, I would have never thought to do that, but that's kind of in their, um, their catalog of, of weaving stitches that they do or kind of tie downs that they create. And I loved it. Like it's not something that I would have ever even thought to ask for. So it's, it's been really nice that it is this collaboration. It's this back and forth of me saying like, this is kind of the flat design that I'm looking for. And then they bring it to life. Like they really breathe the air into it. How do you manage QC? How do you manage the quality check? Mm-hmm. That um, I, I manage that by, I look over every, every piece. So I'm not doing hundreds of units. Like I'm keeping this very small in small batches, very intentional Um, you know, understanding, like, it takes a long time to weave one of these, you know, either the tapestries or the pillow covers or the blanket, like it it takes time. And then I look over everything. Part of it is understanding that it's handmade and that there's something beautiful in seeing the creator's hand in, in the product. But then part of it is, is understanding like, okay, we need to be able to figure out a way to speak the same language. So when I say pink, they might think, a light pink or a dark pink and they go to their market to buy the pinks. So I realized, okay, we need to figure out a way to speak the same language. So I ordered their yarn cards from the, uh, a company in Guatemala that makes the yarns that many, many women weave with. Now I have a yarn card so I can say, I want 0043 pink so that they know which pink I mean. So it's just kind of um, figuring out how to, how to speak the same language in textiles and, you know, to, to make sure. Now, within that, what is the level of consistency with that 0043 pink from, from batch to batch? It's been been good. I mean, I think it's been great. It's been very consistent. They're, um, what they've created like has been incredibly consistent. You know, they keep one 
um, kind of as the uh, guide for each product. So that star pillow that you see behind you, they have one that they wove and kept there so that they can use that for any follow-up order. So they know exactly how high it should be, what colors it's using, that they have something that they can reference. And that's been something that we've kind of worked out throughout the process of learning like, okay, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make sure that things are consistent? Because um, that's what I think my customers would expect, you know, consistency. And if they decided to reorder something or what they see online, you want to make sure that that's what they're going to get because I am selling things primarily from my online shop. Um, so I, I think that there's ways, but also it's understanding that if there is something that was a miscommunication, like that's my burden to take on. And I know that when I do a project like this, I have to make sure that I budget for the enough finances to have that wiggle room of like, oh, I meant this pink, but you meant that pink. It's not really anybody's fault, but it's part of the process. Switching gears over to licensing, because licensing is something that eludes a lot of creators. It's a, it's, I want to say that it's more art than anything else. So that being said, how do you approach licensing? How did you, how did you put your strategy together? Yeah. Um, licensing just seemed like a, a good fit to kind of have my designs that I wouldn't be able to manufacture or that I don't really want to take on like things like rugs, for example. Um, and I work with CB2, they've used my designs on their rugs. That's not really a product that I want to facilitate having manufactured. I think that there, it's, a, it's a great thing to have. It's a, um, a way of introducing pattern into a space. So I saw that as kind of like a strategic partner in creating designs for products that I, I love and I think are interesting, but I don't really want to take on personally. Um, so that's, it's, it's been great. I've been working with CB2 for like, probably like five or six years and they're a great partner. So you have your licensing siloed. So you'll do, you'll do e-com on the products that you want to do yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you'll license out the products that, that you don't, that you don't want to do yourself. That, and I also see it as a way, like, I love creating designs. I love creating patterns. What I do in Ditto House is just like whatever I want. Like it's colorful, it's bold, it's a little bit wild. Um, it's not directed by any any art direction of like, oh, this is in trend, you know, or this is, it's just what I think the world needs and what I want in my house. So that's kind of like my very creative outlet. But with the licensing, it's, you know, things that maybe have more of a mass market appeal. Um, things that still I believe in and stand by that have, the elements of design that I think are important. Like I, I really believe that design should be sustainable, that if a design is relevant now, it should still be relevant and exciting 20 years from now or 20 years ago. Like I, I really think that there should be this timelessness. And so it's just kind of another, um, another place to put my patterns because I do create a lot of patterns <laughs> every year. So it's just somewhere for them to go. So tell me about Ditto House. So yeah. now we're talking about the studio. Tell me about the idea behind the studio, both when you started it and now, and perhaps also considering how rapidly things are changing mm -hmm. in the design industry right now, what you envision uh, Ditto House to be in years to come. Um, I envisioned Ditto House to, I think before it was always just about fun patterns and like, you know, just colorful things that I wanted. 
now I see it as a way of building systems of solidarity to do good with my textiles to, you know, of course, things that are beautiful and fun and happy, but also seeing that like I have this amount of money that I can put towards manufacturing and being strategic about that and doing more with um, my designs and my textiles than probably I, I had in the past, seeing that I can build these systems, just not by doing anything that's like, you know, earth shattering or groundbreaking, but just connecting dots that are there that I have the ability to kind of connect and um, yeah, bu building systems of solidarity, seeing that like I can, can work with um, these incredible weavers in Guatemala and sell my products here in America and you know, we can all um, rise from that experience. Um, tell me about starting it and establishing your e-com platform, because I, I feel like the e-com platforms are something that really, the, the sales channel, right? It, it eludes a lot of creatives. How did you start yours and how do you operate it now? Um, I started it, gosh, well, it was, well, I had a newborn baby and I was just kind of like figuring things out. So I'm very much for just like getting into it and figuring it out as I go. So probably if I looked at my website that I created in uh, end of 2014, 2015, I'd be like, yikes, what was that? But you know, you, you learn and you figure it out and you keep growing. So all since then, I've always done my own website. Um, so I really like to know how things are done. I like to, I mean, I'm not doing like coding or anything like that, but like using Squarespace and, and building it, putting my images in so that I kind of can understand how, how it's done. Um, and so now I'm definitely more savvy than I was then, but I'm still not, you know, some internet guru or anything like I'm, I'm I just kind of keep figuring out and keep building. I, I think that's so admirable. Look, I, I think that I know having having had conversations i feel like most creators uh, allow perfect to be the enemy of the good and i think that when it comes to ecom there's this feeling like my website has to be perfect everything has to be right I, it can't be it can't be a wix or a squarespace it has to be something that's that's custom because people will know it's not completely custom I don't think it has to be because you're not selling websites. You're, right. <laughs> you're selling the products that are, that are on, you want For it sure. to work. And if you want it to work, why not go to someone who's done it before? So how long did the process take you? Everyone's learning curve is different. How long did it? It's funny. Cause as I'm asking the question, I'm like, well, she taught herself to weave and she learned manufacturing and then she went to Guatemala. So I think your learning curve is probably a little quicker than mine, but how did you, how did you approach that? And everybody is so busy and, and especially designers, as busy as designers are now, the idea of trying to learn something new by themselves is terrifying. So how did you do it? How'd you break it down? I, I just Google everything. I look at YouTube. I mean, it's, everything is out there if you have the time. And at the time I had a newborn baby and like, he was sleeping a lot. So I was able to kind of like figure out that stuff. And then, like I said, I just kind of continued to build onto it. But also I, I think it's important to note that what I do with Ditto House has always been, um, it's, I have the security with my consulting and licensing sides of my business, that this is something that I can evolve and grow slowly. 
So I'm not feeling like it has to be perfect. I'm not feeling like I need to make this much money in this quarter of selling this and doing that. Like it's very, um, relaxed and slow and fun. I put out a collection when I feel like I should, like when I feel like I have something that I want to put out, I don't really believe in launching stuff just to launch it because it's, you know, this month and this part of the year. Like, I really believe that like, it should be something that I think needs to be out there. Um, and that's really allowed me to like, you know, when I launch something, my textiles are perfect. My website is not perfect, but I'm sure that my textiles are perfect. So like there's, you know, it's just kind of balancing. Do you use a third party distributor? Do you use a clearinghouse or do you clear and ship everything yourself? No, I, I ship everything. I mean, if I, um, for like larger orders, so since I kind of have these like other sides to my business, say a wholesale order, like I, my products are sold in the MoMA design store in New York. Those I'll work with my manufacturer. He knits things and then sends it right over. So it, it just kind of depends. But most of my products from trauma, I have it here. I quality check everything. I sew the labels on. So there's like a lot of hands kind of on the products and then I ship it. So no, I'm, I'm keeping it very intentionally small. Have you had any uh, shipping distribution channel disruptions over the last 15 months? No, actually. Um, I mean, with the small things of like packages being lost in Scotland or something like that, like of like individual orders. No, like, um, products have been able to come to me quite quickly from Guatemala. Like they'll send it. And within that week I'll, I'll receive the packages. So thank God. No, I have not had too many issues. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's really amazing. I think considering, um, and I wanted to start, I wanted to talk to you about some of your products and, and I want to look at them because I think they're wonderful as it relates to the design itself um, as I jump into this and I'll, I'll open up the slideshow as you're talking, but I'm interested to know when it comes to new products, new mm -hmm. designs, do you plan and distribute in by season by line? Do you do it with regularity? Is it irregular? Is it when you feel like it? How do you approach that? I feel like it. It's very um, irregular and it's not going along with anyone else's seasons of like, and, and I understand those seasons, especially from licensing. Like, you know, I know CB2 works two years ahead of time, predicting the trends and then putting stuff out. But what I do with, with Ditto House is things that I just feel like are right at the right time and can take as long as they need to, to get exactly right. Um, because I don't believe that they're for only right at this moment. Like they're going to be lasting. If, if someone buys one of my textiles, I really do believe that there it's something that they'll like in 30 years from now. So I'm in no rush to get stuff out at a certain time frame. I understand also the, the women who weave the products are moms and they have lives and there's a pandemic going on. So everything is just kind of whenever it happens. Oops, sorry. Did, did my Zoom get shut? No. Oh, there I, oh my, my screen just changed. So yeah, it's just kind of whenever, um, whenever, whenever it happens is, is the right time to launch it. So as we're talking, it's so funny. As you were explaining this idea of, you know, using body weight, as, as basically the part of a human loom, mm -hmm. I, I didn't really realize until I look at the actual people who are, who are making this product, just the difference in 
you know, widths and sizes and what you're, what you're able to do. Now, who am I looking at here? Who is this? This is Oralia and Amparo. They're the president and vice president of Trauma Textiles, um, two women from the highlands of Guatemala. And they are um, some of the founding members of the cooperative. It's been around for 30 years and they are expert weavers themselves and also expert businesswomen, community activists, cultural preservationists, you name it. Like they, they're just good at everything. It's amazing too. And, you know, as you look at this, this, these natural colors and these women who are in these vibrant mm -hmm. fabrics, and then you look on the other side, juxtaposed to that, you can see the connection. You can see where it comes from and you can see, I, I, I just, I find that so wonderful and amazing. Oh, um, you. And you, so this particular collection, mm -hmm. um, was this, when did this come out? Was this one of the first or is this some this of the is, latest? This is the first. So, so far we've only done one collection and this is the first collection and it's what's still available. Um, so this came out early, this early 2021. Okay. And how many pieces are in that collection? Because I, I think, you know, with the circles and the star pillow, yeah. I love that star pillow. That just makes me happy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's a little cutie. So there's um, five different tapestry colors. So they're all the same design, but I, I envisioned this like whole wall of just these bold dots that have so much going on um, with the stripes and the diagonals. They're perfectly executed. So there's the five tapestries. There's the, the blanket which is what you see hanging. Um, that was not wo woven on a backstrap loom, that was woven on a pedal loom. So that is a little bit wider. There's a, a difference in the, um, some of the manufacturing technique, it's still done by hand. Um, then there's also two pillow covers and a rug design, which is just like a small kind of throw rug. Yeah, and you know, wanted to give everyone sort of a, a, an, an opportunity to get some close-ups just to, to some of the to some of the material and some of the product um, that hand is what is that um, specifically that is it's um, meant to be a rug it's about two feet by three feet but of course it could be a wall tapestry you could hang it on your wall um, I mean people do lots of things with textiles you could you know drape it over a couch kind of whatever you you choose um, I just I love the like kind of simple image of a hand I think that it's so powerful you know this is a collaboration. Um, where we're working together, but we're far apart. Like, I think that the, the symbol is just so um, dramatic. I, I totally agree. Now with something like that, are you, can you specify colorways or is that what the way it comes? Yeah, that no, is just as it comes. So that actually uses all natural wool that's undyed. So it's from like um, a white cream colored sheep and like a brownish blackish colored sheep. So that's like exactly very pure. It's, it's just the, the true wool colors and that's as it comes. That's beautiful. That's fantastic. I love that. Thank you. And, and it's funny, then you go from, from creams and blacks to really vibrant. Yeah. Yeah. And these colors of course are um, dyed colors and I did have the option. Um, or I'm sorry. I didn't have the option with the rugs. Like they, they had a more limited palette. And so I kind of like waited out, like, will Will it go with the rest of the colors that are so vibrant and so bright? But I thought that the design was bold enough that it, it really did all go together. So this is really fun for me because we got into a conversation about tile and mm -hmm. 
Walker Zanger sent you um, some samples. This is not it, but Walker Zanger sent you some samples from their pop culture uh, collection. And we're going to get into that in, in a minute, but I wanted to sort of back up and talk about, now this is, this is a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a concept piece. What was, what was the idea behind this? So my idea is always to put pattern into spaces. Like I think that it's super memorable and placemaking, conversation starting, exciting, it kind of pulses. And that's always my intention with the design is to have something that seems to have a heartbeat that you can, you know, celebrate life when you're looking at it. So with this, um, I was working with an architect who this was a proposal and unfortunately didn't um, go through, but an idea to um, bring some extra life to the pool area. So I was referencing like lines that are in pools, like the the lanes that are in pools, the excitement that like the pool area of the hotel has and bringing that through through tiles. So this was a proposal that I had put together of using um, a variety of tiles to create something that is it's very memorable. You know, you would definitely take a picture in front of that and post it on Instagram and someone else would say, well, I'll stay in that hotel. I love that pattern, you know, something that is um, placemaking. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so with that, you know, they sent you some tiles and, you know, this was your opportunity. You've, you've worked with tiles before and it's so interesting to me. I kind of wanted to see if you could draw the, the correlation between textiles and, and laying tile. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think that there's like a a direct correlation. So especially with like something like this, I used one by one tiles that, that's the same as like the pixel that I use when I'm designing digitally or a warp and a weft crossing. It's a, a point that you can then build on and create something. Um, so I, I think that tiles are a great way of infusing some um, electricity into the space to, to put some um, obviously pattern and some action in maybe an otherwise calm space with, you know, white walls and, and natural surfaces, but in an area that really is quite alive. And, and opposed to the predetermined pattern, you know, I'm, it's funny. First thing I saw I, in my mind when I looked at this was, oh, that's a crossword puzzle that I haven't figured it out yet. Uh-huh. But that's just me. You know, yeah. what, do you, what do you see? Like when you get a box of black and white and gray, uh-huh. um, what, what comes to mind? What, what inspires you? Oh, it's, it's funny that you say a crossword puzzle. Cause for me, it's the same thing. It's like a puzzle. Like, what can I do with this? How can I create like a balance, something unexpected, something that has movement where your eyes kind of keep moving around and you are, are looking at it. It's something that's meditative, that's engaging a way of creating like a moment in a space where you don't have to do anything, but just look at that pattern, like pulse. Um, so when I, when I got a box of black and white tiles, like I, I took an entire day playing with the tiles and like just figuring out little patterns as simple as a stripe, like you see there. And then as something interesting, um, like the one that you said, looks like a crossword, like it's a super simple pattern, but it really took my mind like some time to like figure out how am I going to turn these so that I have a nice tempo, a nice rhythm. It, it looks simple, but it's also a little bit complex. You know, it's, it's, it's so much fun for me. And, and from that, you know, back into a, I don't know, do you want to call this a predictable pattern? But I think when you pair some, I feel like there's either predictable or random, Mm -hmm. but when you, but when you can mix something like this with a, 
with a fun, predictable pop culture feel with mm-hmm. something that is indigenous and natural and original and unique, it creates um, it creates just this really powerful imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that patterns are a universal language. You know, you don't have to um, understand art history or something like that to appreciate patterns. They're I always say they're the background rhythms of our lives. Like we all had patterns around us growing up, you know, maybe your grandma's wallpaper or a favorite shirt or, you know, different things that it's, it's around us. It's, it's, you don't need any, um, you know, access to get to patterns. Like everyone has patterns around them. They're found in nature. They're found in every grandma's house. Like they're, they're everywhere. So I just think that they're such a nice way of kind of, um, being inclusive in a space, you know, it's not something that you have to, you know, have some other understanding of, like, it's just a a way of injecting a little bit of a fun and appreciation for life and vibrancy. So now, you know, you've, with the, with the collection you've created, does this, does this get you thinking, okay, Guatemala, and that is a feel and it's an, it's a, I've created this, what what's next? I mean, does it get you thinking about where you can go next? And if so, where are you looking? Yeah, there, I mean, um, I'm always thinking about kind of what other things I can design. So I've been working on my loom a lot. That's kind of where I think through ideas and just have fun. Um, so I, I'm, I'm planning on doing more weaving, especially as the months get colder. I'll definitely be on my loom a lot more. Um, I've been, I still work with my American manufacturer. Um, it's a great way of getting other products made that um, can work with the products from Guatemala and that are at a different price point and that then the sales of that can kind of fund my other projects. So it's kind of like, I'm always, always keeping all of my options open. Um, I'm also interested in public art. I've had a few opportunities to kind of dabble in public art as another way of injecting pattern into space. Um, I think that's a, a great way tile, of course, like I I just like everything and I love to do everything with pattern. And, and that's the product side, but something else that, that I've sort of noticed about you is, is you, you sort of subscribe to this philosophy of doing well and doing good. You know, there is a lot of social justice imbued in, in the work that you're doing and, and where you go and how you market it. And I wanted to see if you wouldn't mind touching on that a little bit because we've 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 talked a little bit about it, but I think it's really important. And I I think, and maybe you can address this for me. I feel like sometimes people have thought, well, it, it's an either or. Mm-hmm. I can address social issues or I can do well. Right. And I I feel like some think that there may be a, a break in design between those two things, but I don't think there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's um, unlimited amounts of potential, especially like we kind of touched on before. I'm not going to be perfect in what I'm doing. So, you know, I'm, it's not like one extreme or the other that I'm doing like incredibly, you know, well, making tons and tons of money or that I'm like able to send tons and tons of money to, you know, efforts that I believe in, but I'm, I'm doing a balance. It's, um, and, and I'm a human. So I'm, I'm just kind of keeping it in balance. I understand that the textile industry has um, historically been a source of a lot of exploitation, a lot of abuse to both the land, to humans. You know, of course, in America, we have a horrific history of textile production. And I just see if I'm going to be in this industry, I need to understand that history of 
exploitation, abuse, and um, but also the brilliance in it of of what's what can be done with textiles and seeing that that's something that I can um, use my my passion for design and my interest in manufacturing and connect the dots. Also, working with um, a group like Trauma is super exciting because they are doing something that I aspire to. They've you know, been a resource for their community and giving women jobs in their community and preserving their culture. So I would like to align myself with groups like that, um, that I'm not necessarily doing something charitable, but I'm aligning myself with somebody charitable that's, you know, done the work in their community that understands the needs of their community and that I can kind of um, align my my resources and my my passions with with groups that are doing great work. Have you explored opportunities to do something like that here in the U.S.? Um, yeah, a little bit here and there, kind of understanding textile production and seeing like, okay, what what might my next project be? Like, I'd, I'd like to continue working with trauma, but I'm always open to, um, you know, seeing what else is out there and kind of keeping my eyes open for that opportunity, but not necessarily like making a plan of like, okay, this is what I'm doing next. I don't have anything lined up, but I'm always available to it and seeing like what, what seems to make sense. Like, like I said, this opportunity with um, trauma, I wouldn't have dreamed of doing even like five years ago, but the timing seemed right. I was seeing what was happening in my own country, seeing people being turned away at the border and, you know, wanting to see like, what, what could I do in my small part that, you know, might um, be beneficial. I think that I think that's great. Uh, the the last question. I don't know if you can hear me. I think I'm having some mic issues, but oh, can you hear me? Thumbs up. Yep. Okay. Uh, the the last question I really have for you is sort of where we started with this. We talked about at the beginning um, where you envision company, you know, in in five years, five years, and from a design standpoint from an inspiration standpoint, what would, is there anything that, is there any project we had talked about that, that hotel project, right? Mm -hmm. With the, with the swimming pool. I'm interested, what's on your, I don't want to call it a bucket list. It's not a bucket list, but what is your, um, what is your goal? What is your desire? Are there any projects that you would just love to do? I think truly I would love to just keep doing what I'm doing, like in balance. I feel super fortunate. I mean, obviously like a project, like a hotel project or, you know, great, getting a, a great placement, like having my textiles in, in the MoMA design store, like those kinds of things are just super exciting to me. But I think what's most exciting is just knowing that I can continue doing this. I have my kids aren't here right now because they would be too noisy, but I have my kids usually with me all the time, knowing that I can do this in balance. I can thrive in balance. My family's thriving. Like what a blessing it's that's, that's all that I can ask for. So continuing what I'm doing is, is definitely my, my end goal. And I, and I love that. And it's funny too. You, you talk about the, you know, the kids at school. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but the doorbell rings and then uh -huh. it, it knocks my microphone off to the oh. phone. So with that, I think, you know, what it reminds me of is sort of to your point, you know, to continue doing what you're doing. I think what many people have to realize right now, and I think we're all kind of realizing this in real time is doing things the way that we've been doing them really isn't possible because 
every aspect of our business has has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like, especially like for the podcast, you know, I used to do everything live. Mm-hmm. I haven't done, you know, but a handful of things live in a year and a half. And it gets me thinking that for you, you know, the world just got a whole lot smaller mm-hmm. and your abilities to do what you do from home. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's inspirational for me to think about, you know, you sitting at home and, and thinking, oh, you know what? I want to go try this and see if I can uh-huh. do it and then break out the loom and start putting an idea together. You can then take that idea, snap a digital shot on your phone, uh-huh. slack it out to Guatemala. They can work on it, send, send a sample back digitally. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you've taken this whole idea of personal creation at home and turned it into international design and distribution. Well, that sounds nice. Thanks, Josh. Well, no, I mean, is it sounds like that's what you're already doing. I guess when you say it like that, it is. I mean, it's I I, I think I'm not a super I, I'm intentional, but not super strategic about things like I, I'm just like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. It seems like it's there's not a lot of push against it and it works for me. It works for my family. So I am just going with it. So, um, yeah, I like to to take things naturally. I don't like to. I work consistently all the time on the things that I love, but I'm not forcing anything. I kind of tend to think that everything is a drop in the bucket, good or bad. So like, I'm super excited about any opportunity I get, but also if something bad comes along, like, okay, it's fine. Like, you know, I just kind of keep, keep going. And I'm, I know that's um, a very privileged um, way of living because I'm, I'm set. Like I have a good support system and it's, I, I am thriving within that. And um, it's, it's just everything I want. Well, and, and I, I appreciate you saying that. I think it's really important. And I think it's important to hear stories from, from people like you about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Because the, the reason for the showroom, the reason, you know, the showroom, which is a partnership with Walker Zanger, they're remarkable partners. And it was in a conversation that sort of led to this idea, like, how can we create conversations specifically with creators and talk about how collaborations mm-hmm. can expand and, and really take that, that idea of one plus one does equal three, you know, and yeah. figuring out how to make that work. Right. So hearing stories like yours and, and what you're doing and what you've done, I'm just, I'm, I'm so appreciative. I think oh, it's great. Too. Thank you. That's so nice of you to say. So listen, um, it's, it's amazing to me just how quickly the time flies That's when we're doing this. And mm-hmm. sometimes you miss a point or two. And so everyone who's here, th- by the way, thank you very much for joining us in the showroom presented by Walker Zanger. If you like the conversation, and I, and I hope you do, and maybe there's a thing or two or five or 10 things that you missed, um, you will be able to find the video of this on Walker Zanger's YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, and you will also be able to find the whole conversation uh, published on Convo by Design as a podcast, and I hope that you will uh, that you'll come back and listen. And again, um, thank you, Walker Zanger, for all your partnership. And and Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. This was fantastic. Yeah. My pleasure. You made it very easy. I was very nervous to start, but <laughs> you you eased my nerves. I love it. That's fantastic. And again, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, enjoy your day. Be well, and uh, we'll we'll see you next time for season two. Thank you.
Thank you, Molly. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for presenting Convo by Design. Thank you, Thermosol, for your partnership. You are both remarkable partners and amazing allies for the trade. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve. Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm-hmm.